wonderful, wonderful to see all your faces again. It's been, it feels like it's been a while since we've had a Sunday service, so it's really, really good to be back. Our first uh, evening service back as a church in 2023, as Philippa wonderfully mentioned. I was warned uh, this morning by Sarah Cobbold that this is the last final day that I'm allowed to say Happy New Year before it starts becoming inappropriate and it's just old news. So uh, while it is still today, I just want to say Happy New Year to you all. Hope many of you had wonderful breaks over Christmas uh, and a fresh start to this new year. I'm certainly um, really looking forward to all that God has in store for us as a church, uh, not just here in my lane, but across all our other services. Uh, Joel just reminded me earlier of just one piece of news that I forgot to share this morning, and that is uh, many of you will already know of uh, Helen Marasha. Uh, she has been a part of the Christchurch London community for many years now, along with her husband, Shininga, and they have uh, just today started leading, I believe today was their first day leading the Stockwell service. Uh, they were appointed as leaders last year, and they've started um, this very morning, and I've heard that it's been a, it's been a fantastic service uh, for them as, as they've begun. So I uh, just want to share that uh, piece of good news with you all and uh, to keep them in your prayers if you can, uh, and, and for the Stockwell service as a whole. Uh, we, we love those guys, and we uh, are praying all the best for them. Uh, I just want to also say that if you have joined us uh, over the Christmas season uh, or you're joining us for the first time in, in this new year, we want to just say uh, you're so welcome here and we really, really hope that you feel at home um, and that you are able to get, to, uh, get connected with others in this church community. Uh, I'd love to get to know you a bit more, any one of the leaders here that you've seen at the front or uh, Joel himself here. Um, we would love to get to know you more and find out you know, what you're up to, what you do in London, but also how we can serve you and bless you. How, how can we get you more involved in the life of the church here if that is something you're interested uh, in, in doing? So, yeah, wonderful to be back, and I have the pleasure this evening of uh, kicking off our brand new, shiny new sermon series on the Gospel of Luke, uh, and I'm really looking forward to this. Our hope is uh, to preach through the book of Luke over the course of this year. We'll be breaking, up, breaking it up into parts, maybe two or three parts over the the course of this year, uh, and I think this is going to be fantastic for us as a church um, for several reasons. The first and the greatest reason is that we are going to get to dive in and explore the amazing, the wonderful, the life-changing, world-changing, history-shaping, extraordinary uh, story of Jesus Christ. I think first and foremost, that's what I'm really, really excited about. We're going to get to immerse ourselves in his life, in his teachings, in his death, in his resurrection. We'll get to explore more about who he is, what he's done, and why he is just simply the most important, fantastic, amazing person in this entire universe that we could encounter. And secondly, why I'm excited is that we're just going to have a chance to see not only why the Gospel of Luke is important, along with the other Gospels, but how can we even start to read and understand them as disciples of Jesus in our present world today? There'll be things throughout Luke, there'll be stories, uh, there'll be uh, themes, there'll be parables, uh, which hopefully will, will encourage us, will challenge us, uh, will equip us as followers of Jesus in our present day. And last but by no means least, the, the greatest commandment that we have been given in the entire Bible is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. So this is a chance really for us as 
followers of Jesus to engage both our head, our thought life, our knowledge, our reasoning, our thinking, as well as our heart, our feeling, our emotion, our desires, our will. And I think Luke is an excellent place to start for this. I really love the Gospel of Luke. It's a very unique book among uh, all the other books in the Bible. It has contents uh, that's found nowhere else in the Bible. For example, uh, in, in the book of Luke, we have stories such as Zacharias and Elizabeth, the angel's announcement to Mary, the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the walk to Emmaus. It also holds uh, parables such as the Pharisee and the tax collector, the rich man and Lazarus, uh, the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, all parables and stories that we've come to treasure and love. Even for those of us who might not consider ourselves Christians, we might be familiar with some of these parables and stories, and actually uh, they shape the thinking of many people about what it means to be loved by God and what it actually means to love our neighbor. And it's all thanks to the Gospel of Luke that we have access to these stories and parables and themes. So here we are in the very first four verses of Luke, and yes, it's intentionally meant to be a a slow start. I promise we'll cover a lot more verses in the coming few weeks, but we're going to start off in just four verses. And And I think these four verses that we've just had read give us a preview and a glimpse as to why Luke's gospel is so rich in all this great content. And that is because he conducted some of the most in-depth, extensive research to write down this gospel account. Now, the gospel simply means good news. It's a proclamation. It's an announcement. It's a, it's a declaration or an account of something good that's taken place. It's meant to be good news for us and for the world around us. Luke is actually offering us a sketch of what what the gospel is. He says that it's an account of things that have been accomplished during Jesus' time on earth. Uh, It's a narrative of facts about Jesus, who he is, what he said, and what he's done. But to start off with, with, who even is this guy Luke? Luke. Uh, It seems that he gets mentioned in uh, several places in the New Testament. Uh, He wrote two great big books in the Bible, uh, one that we're looking at this very evening, the Gospel of Luke, uh, and the other, which is the Book of Acts, which is a a record of of the early church. And from Acts, we know that he actually served with Paul on his missionary journeys. Uh, We learn that Luke was not just a missionary, though. We learn that he was also a doctor, so he was this sort of medical missionary and a very close companion of Paul. And the Apostle Paul, of course, was the guy who uh, was a a first-hand eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus, and it completely transformed his life and the direction of his life. He went from literally being a persecutor of Christians, throwing Christians into prison and sending them to their death, to actually being one of Christianity's biggest missionaries and advocates, and one of uh, the most famous followers of Jesus. So Luke traveled with this guy all over the place, through Greece to Rome. And what we know, according to um, Eusebius, who was a second century Greek historian, is that Luke was uh, possibly born and raised in Antioch, which is in modern-day Syria, and was of Gentile descent. And he's the only Gentile, which is a non-Jew, to have written books in the Bible. 
And according to early church tradition, Luke would have died around the age of 84 in Greece. But since his death, Luke has emerged as one of the most important, if not the most important, historians of the ancient world. But more important than that, I think, is that Luke was a big, committed, faithful follower of Jesus. One of my favorite uh, things about Luke that we learn, and we learn volumes about what he was like through the Apostle Paul, in fact. While Paul was imprisoned in Rome, he wrote one of his final uh, letters to a young church leader called Timothy, which we read about in 2 Timothy. Uh, Paul knew that his time of execution was very soon, and while he was in this cold, dark, dreadful prison in Rome, uh, he writes to Timothy saying that he's been practically abandoned by everyone in prison. Everyone that was closest to him has just left him and abandoned him, except for Jesus himself and for Luke. Now, I think this speaks volumes about what Luke would have been like. Luke had clearly stood with Paul through thick and thin, through all his trials and tribulations that we uh, read about in Acts. He was the only friend that stood by him in that cold and dank prison with everyone else having run away. Luke's the kind of friend that you'd probably want when things get really, really tough in life, especially if you're prone to being mocked and stoned, shipwrecked, hungry, sleepless, imprisoned, ill, beaten, and then awaiting your execution on top of that, all of which Paul had faced. But in addition to this, Luke seems to be this really gifted communicator and writer. His gospel account has been considered one of the most poetic accounts of all, as well as using the best grammar and the most eloquent Greek in the New Testament. He's probably the perfect companion if you're a scientist or a historian or a language nerd or a geek, but also just if you're a a person in a really, really dire and desperate situation. But as Luke begins this account of Jesus, he acknowledges that right from the start, many others have also attempted to write down and summarize and share this story of Jesus. We indeed have the other Gospels in the Bible which share this unified story of the person and work of Christ. But a key thing to bear in mind is that Luke tells us there's this, there's this fascination at the heart of this Gospel project. project. He actually says there are many who have undertaken to to draw up an account of things that have been fulfilled. Luke himself was infected with this fascination bug. He was eager to pass on this gospel record to others. People just couldn't get enough of this Jesus story. It's clear that this person Jesus had left a mark on humanity unlike any other person in history. He had turned the whole world upside down with his life and his teachings. Jesus spoke as one who had authority, and people felt it very deeply and were moved by it. There were all these claims that this man had performed many, many miracles, healing the sick, feeding thousands of people with just a few loaves of bread and fish. He cast out demons. He even raised the dead. And crazier than that, apparently, he himself was brutally beaten and murdered in the most excruciating, painful way devised by humans, crucifixion on a cross, and then laid in the grave. But then, three days later, he rose again from death. Now, if this isn't something that is enough to to capture 
headlines and, uh, uh, and capture people's attention, then I don't know what is. Clearly, there was an outbreak of information that needed researching and summarizing. And here we have Luke bringing together uh, the, the details and the pieces, grabbing the essentials of this story. And it triggered the, the interest of a guy called Theophilus, for whom uh, Luke was writing. It seems as though Theophilus may have been a follower of Jesus, very likely, and he may have also been a very uh, wealthy status. Um, many people think that he actually probably commissioned Luke to write and research uh, this gospel account. So for Luke, there was this fascination with the Jesus story, but there was also a passion for accuracy and facts, just as the original eyewitnesses had experienced them and then handed them on. Luke is described by Paul as the beloved physician in Colossians 4.14. Luke was, was a scientist at heart. And we see that his concern for exact, we see this concern for exactness that Luke has. It seems that he refused to fudge or exaggerate the story as witness. He conducted the most painstaking research. He says, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning to write an orderly account. It's likely that as Luke traveled with Paul, uh, as he traveled across Israel, he would have interviewed any number of eyewitnesses to confirm their testimonies about what they had witnessed and experienced. And these witnesses would have also been able to verify uh, Luke's account, but also expose any falsehoods that might have been mentioned. And in fact, the very first disciples and preachers made it their top priority to tell people what they had actually witnessed and experienced about Jesus himself. They went out their way to share historical facts about the events that happened among them. And not just among them, but among thousands of other people across the country. So the gospel is the factual history of Jesus. Christianity is built on this historical fact. And I think it's important, that is really important, and I think we shouldn't lose sight of that as Christians. It is so, so important to remember that. All the apostles went out of their way to stress this. The, the apostle John in, one, uh, in 1 John 1 says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this is what we proclaim to you about the word of life. The life has appeared and we testify to it. We've seen it. We've proclaimed to you the eternal life which, the Father, uh, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. There's such a tangible sense to this gospel story. And just like John, Luke is accounting for something that has happened in history that was seen, that was heard, that was touched and felt. It was very, very real. In the ancient world, we know even now there were many, many ancient historians during that time. We have Thucydides, we have Herodotus, Tacitus, Pliny, Josephus, all of whom are still read widely today. But very few ancient historians have been scrutinized as much as Luke has. Some have even expressed doubts about biblical writers such as Luke. Just one example uh, Sir William Mitchell Ramsey. Now, Ramsey was raised as an atheist and was highly, highly skeptical of the Bible. And he, in fact, he, he believed that it was all just fraudulent, an invention of monks over time. 
Uh, it's noted that he even referred to it as the Book of Fables. Uh, Ramsey was a well-established Scottish historian and archaeologist. He held posts at Aberdeen, at Edinburgh, and Oxford universities. And he was born into, house, into a house of lawyers and academics. Clearly a very, very intelligent, noble gentleman. And he sets out on this literal adventure and journey to try and debunk the gospel, to prove that the Bible was false, particularly in the writings of Luke. And he believed that the weakest spot in the whole New Testament was Luke's account, especially the story of Paul's travels in Acts. So equipped like no other uh, in his time, he set out on a voyage to, um, to what was known as Asia Minor and Palestine. And his research lasted over 25 years. And in that time, he published a book. And in that book, he outlines that not only is he incredibly impressed by the accuracy of Luke, but he also declares that Luke is a historian of the first rank, not merely as his, are his statements of fact trustworthy, but this author should be placed along with the very greatest of historians. Luke's history is unsurpassed in respect of its trustworthiness. And he goes on to confess that he knew that he grew to realize that in all the various details, Luke showed marvelous truth. 25 flipping years of research. I said it this morning, it's, it's, it's longer than many of you guys have even been alive. I almost feel sorry for the guy that it took him that long, but also I'm very, very glad he did his research. You see... He sets out to prove that the Bible was just this product of ambitious monks. But then he returns, not only having given his life to Jesus, but believing that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Now, this, this not only shook Ramsey, but it shook all his intellectual contemporaries. They, they, they were astounded. They were just like, what, what on earth ha happened to you out there for 25 years? They just couldn't believe it. And he releases two major works off the back of all his research about the trustworthiness of the New Testament. He was so awestruck at Luke's accuracy uh, that in his mission to refute the Bible, his conclusion, his conclusion ended up being that uh, Luke's account of events and settings were exact, even in the smallest details. Luke had a passion for facts. And he was... He, he, he was so in love with the story. But for, for Luke, the gospel isn't just a record of facts. He wants to show how Jesus' story is the fulfillment of a much, much bigger story. Luke is showing us that Jesus' story is a fulfillment of God's long covenant promise to Israel, and not just Israel, but the whole entire world. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to look at Luke not just through an ordinary uh, human lens as human literature. In fact, yeah, of course, Luke used ordinary means. He used research. He used uh, knowledge gathering to write what he uh, had heard and seen. But more importantly, Christians have always believed that Luke's writings were inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, in 1 Thessalonians, uh, when the, uh, the Apostle Paul writes about uh, his visit to Thessalonica, uh, and in fact, he writes about a group of them visiting Thessalonica, and Luke was very likely uh, along with them. And he says that when he, shared, uh, when he shared the gospel with the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians didn't just receive it as words of, of humans, but actually they received it as the very words of God. So just like all the other writers of the Bible, Luke was moved by the Holy Spirit as he put this work together. And as disciples, we're called to read Luke through this lens, the lens of the Spirit, the Spirit painting this bigger picture of God in the Bible with the gospel right at the center, the heartbeat of the entire Bible. So to understand the Bible, we need to understand the gospel. We need to get to know how Jesus is the fulfillment of everything else. So picture this for a moment. Jesus uh, just gets baptized in the Jordan River, right? And then he sets out on his ministry. He starts off his ministry full of the Holy Spirit. He goes up and down the country. People are starting to get to know him and all his miracles and everything that he's starting to preach and share. And in Luke 4, we read that Jesus then sets home back to Nazareth, his hometown where he grew up. And there on a Sabbath day, it was a a custom of local religious leaders to preach from scrolls of scripture. And this time it was Jesus' turn, so he was up. So imagine it, he gets up, he heads to the front of the synagogue, he grabs a scroll, and everyone is looking at him really intently. They know that this is someone who's fast becoming the local celebrity across the country. And meanwhile, here he is still hanging out and teaching in this really obscure part of Israel in this really random synagogue. I remember going to an ordinary pub not far from here, and me and a few friends were just on this table, and then Ian McKellen just sat right next to us on the table next to us. And no matter how hard we tried not to make it obvious that we were staring, we couldn't help but make it obvious that we were staring. I mean, this was Ian McKellen. And it was during a pub quiz, and uh, instead of focusing on the, on, on the answers to the questions of the quiz, we were just more uh, fixated on, oh, I wonder what, what answer he put down for that. Oh, ooh, I wonder if he got that right or if he got that wrong. And we actually got to mark his, uh, his, his quiz, and he, he, he marked ours as well. It was really exciting, uh, wondering if we would beat Gandalf himself. But we didn't. We drew, of course. We can't beat the great wizard or quizzed himself. He was too good. But there's this fixation of attention in the room when someone important is in there. Now, back to Nazareth. Imagine this whole town at this ordinary synagogue on a Saturday morning, potentially up to 400 people. You can just picture their eyes awkwardly fixed on him, wondering, what's he going to do? What's he going to say? What passage is he going to pick? So Jesus picks up a scroll from Isaiah the prophet, written over 700 years before he was born. And he starts unrolling it, and he starts looking for the spot he wants to read, and he lands on this. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And then he began by saying to them, 
Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And that was just it. Probably the shortest sermon anyone has ever preached, ever. Literally just one sentence. And probably some of you are thinking, oh my gosh, if only every sermon was that short. (laughs) Adnan, look, it is possible Jesus did it. And my reply is, of course it's possible if you are Jesus. I mean, the guy was literally a walking, talking sermon. He is the fulfillment of all scripture. He could summarize it in just that one sentence. What is the gospel? It's the fulfillment of everything God has promised since the beginning. It's the proclamation of God's favor for humanity through Jesus. But the trouble was, and this is, this is something we should also examine our own hearts with. The trouble was the town of Nazareth just didn't get it. They didn't see it. All this time, Jesus was among them, and news of him was spreading far and wide as he preached, as he healed, as he set people free and did many other miracles as a sign that he was the fulfillment of God's promise of salvation. But here we have the, the community at Nazareth just not getting it. They knew all about what Jesus was doing. They knew where he was from, who his parents were, who his brothers and sisters were, who his friends were, where he hung out, where he taught, but they just didn't see the truth. They didn't see the beauty, the power, and the glory of who he really was right in front of their faces. Imagine having Jesus preaching to you and not seeing it. They had knowledge without understanding. And instead of turning to him, they turned him away. In fact, we we go on to read that they actually uh, tried to get him towards the edge of a cliff to throw him over. Astonishing. Astonishing. Their heads did not connect with their hearts. Their knowledge made no difference to what was in here. Just to be clear, these guys weren't disputing whether he existed. They weren't disputing whether he was really born. Uh, They weren't even disputing whether he really performed miracles. They, They believed that he did. Rather, they simply took offense at him for suggesting that he was, in fact, the fulfillment of every prophecy that the synagogues had been reading for hundreds of years. And imagine that. And here we have Jesus declaring the year of the Lord's favor, that he is the Lord's favor. He's the fulfillment of the Lord's covenant ever since creation. And so here we are as a church at the start of our year, unpacking the gospel. And my prayer is that as we dive deeper into this beautiful story, that we would really experience a year of the Lord's favor for ourselves. May the good news of Jesus Jesus permeate every single area and aspect of our lives this coming year. I pray for freedom, especially in areas where we feel captive. Whatever areas that might be in, whether it's with sin, whether it's with suffering, whether it's in darkness, whether it's in habits, I pray that it would renew our hope in God and help us to praise him for all that he's done through Jesus, not just for this year, but for an eternity of favor with God. 
Jesus said that he came that we might have life and life to the full. And that fullness of life can only be brought through the gospel. The news that he surrendered himself to die for our sins and then rose from the dead to bring us newness of life. So wherever we're at in our faith, maybe you're still exploring this whole Jesus thing and this whole Christianity thing. Let me just encourage you. As you read, as you listen, as you explore, as you think, as you ask questions, try not to neglect opening your heart and actually asking God, please, would you reveal yourself to me? Actually seeking understanding from him for all the things we're exploring. And maybe try and be open to thinking, if this is all true, then what implications does this have for me, for the way that I live, for the way I think about God and about other people, for how I prioritize my life even? What areas do I need to surrender right now? Maybe there are particular habits or behaviors, the ways that we think about ourselves ways that we think about others or about God, that we need to surrender to him. Maybe they're just unhelpful assumptions about Jesus that we have that has prevented us from actually experiencing the majesty and the glory and the beauty of who he truly is, to really experience his power. And if that is us, here are just five encouragements and prayer points as we begin this journey through Luke. Number one, you might find it helpful to read through the Gospel of Luke yourself. And as we journey through the series, maybe it's of particular help if you're someone who's perhaps not read it before, uh, or you just want to delve deeper into it. Number two, pray for God to give you a fresh fascination of the Gospel story. This is the most best and incredible and beautiful story that we could ever, ever read and know. Pray for a fresh fascination And pray that as we learn more about the gospel with our minds, that it would really connect and shape what's in here in our hearts. That we become more shaped by the truth of Jesus. And number four, just as Luke's writing was actually uh, designed to bring assurance to the faith of Theophilus, I pray that it also brings assurance to our own faith. Especially in this world that's so full of uh, complexity and confusion and chaos, whether it's in our own lives or in the, uh, everything that is out there. And lastly, as we discover more about who Jesus is and what he's done, pray that it stirs in us a fresh desire and confidence to also share this truth with, uh, with others. We know that this isn't just based on the most precise history and extensive research. This is something that's been inspired by the very spirit of the living God. So just to say, this this isn't simply a series to impress us with facts or intellectual reasons for why Jesus is real or true. There are many, many things that you can read up on and and watch to, to help with that. But actually, it's much more valuable than just that. I'm really hoping that this series sparks afresh a vision for us, for our lives this year. I'm really hoping that as we know more of Jesus, we're drawn more to his truth and beauty and power of who he really is right in front of us. That we become more assured of the power of the good news, the firm foundation of the gospel and the truth of the gospel. 
I, I really love how um, author and scholar Dale Ralph Davis reflects on these very four verses that we've just had read to us. He says that a Christian's assurance may come and go and be affected by all sorts of matters in life, but it will never, ever begin to exist unless built on a firm foundation of a true gospel. I think that is so true. Your, you and I's assurance may come and go and be affected by all sorts of matters in life. We may be in a place right now where we, we think, oh my gosh, I've got all these, all these doubts and fears, all these uncertainties, all these issues. But our faith will not take shape unless it's built on the firm foundation of a true gospel. So, if you are wondering why on earth are we aiming to unpack Luke over a year? Well, it's not because we're lost for ideas on sermon series. Not at all. In fact, we'll be breaking up this series on Luke with other uh, short series uh, along the way. But we want to build this firm and solid foundation for us as disciples and as a church. It has to start with the gospel of Jesus. Uh, you might be new to this whole Christian stuff and the Bible itself. Well, how exciting. You'll get to discover all of this for the first time. But I just want to say, if you're someone who's read through Luke, maybe you actually read through it already several times, then use this as a chance to be refreshed and re-inspired by the gospel. Be re-inspired by everything that we see taking place through the stories and the themes and the parables and everything in Luke. As we consider Jesus to be the fulfillment of God's favor and promises, the forerunner of God's kingdom right here, right now on earth. His announcement is meant to ignite us, to desire to live his way in the world, not just on a Sunday, but actually every single day of our lives, Monday through to Sunday. What is the gospel? It's an invitation. It's an invitation to you and me to encounter Jesus. We get to encounter him for ourselves right now. And we also get to choose our response towards him as this invitation and encounter takes place. We all get to read stories of how others have responded to Jesus. Some have responded in faith. Others have responded in fury and frustration and doubt and disappointment and offense. But regardless, the gospel demands a response. It's not a passive story that we just, just, just read, but actually it's a real life-changing announcement that the kingdom of God has come. It is right here it's unavoidable, and we have a choice to make. If we put our trust in Jesus, we'll truly get to experience the fullness of God's freedom and favor and forgiveness. That is the gospel. And that is my prayer. I pray that as we discover more of this beautiful story, we would experience freedom, favor, and forgiveness more and more and more and more. So I wonder, as we come to a close, let's, let's stand and let me pray for us, and we'll get to respond to Jesus with our hearts as we worship him. This is the God who is the gospel. He is the good news. This is the king who died for our forgiveness and freedom. This is the savior who brings us favor into another year. So Lord Jesus, as we stand here right now in this very moment, in your very presence, in your very kingdom, 
Lord, I pray, would you center ourselves in you? And God, as you are the center of the whole sweep of history, of the entire story of the Bible, God, I pray that you would take center stage of our very lives right now. God, regardless of where our focuses have shifted and have been over the last year, I pray that right now we are able to fix our eyes and fasten them on Jesus. And Lord, as we fix our eyes and fasten them on you, will we not merely see facts about you, even though those are so true and important, Lord? I pray, I pray, God, that we have a fascination for you, a fresh fascination for the gospel. And Lord, as we look to you, would you fulfill every need every desire, every longing in our hearts. God, I sense that in this very room there have been things that have been prayed for for so long and longed for for so long, Lord. And I pray that right now you would begin to show your fulfillment in those areas. Lord, in this year, I pray for fresh breakthrough. Lord, whether there have been difficulties with our work, struggles with bosses and colleagues or with tasks, feelings of um, insignificance and inadequacy or if we've been gripped by fear. Lord, if we felt like captives and prisoners in, in, the, in prisons of sin and darkness, not seeing a way of escape, Lord, I pray that right now you would unlock, unlock those prison cells and show us the way. Free the captives, Lord. Proclaim again the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus, you are the Lord's favor. You are the fulfillment of all things that have been talked about for thousands of years. And Lord, you are the longing of our hearts, Lord. God, I pray that we in this moment can respond in faith. Help us when we are weak. Help us when we feel like we are lacking faith and when we feel like we are struggling to trust you. Show us a fresh Lord through this that you are so trustworthy, you are so worth it that no other thing can be trusted and relied or leaned on that you are the most reliable being in all of creation. It's Jesus. Lift our hearts, God. We want to surrender this moment. Amen.